Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got another good show for you today. We have a little bit of a throwback week on the podcast. Bring back some guests from the very beginning of the show. We did a New York Yankees offseason preview two weeks ago. We're doing a New York Mets edition this week with John Coppinger, who was the very first guest on this podcast, better known as Mestradamus. That's coming up in the show today. Show me the money. Picks for week number 11 are also coming up today with my friend Phil Frietta. We talked to Phil back about the Yankees in the third episode of the show. He's going to do his picks today. We'll have some fun there. Stay tuned to the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. We talk about Le'Veon Bell's situation and the absurdity of the NFL's franchise tag. We'll get it all rolling with this week's opening tip, where I take a look at some of the big storylines from week number 10 of the NFL season right after this. Some injuries after that going to USC. He's getting a chance today. Thurston Cole, play fake, Barkley, time, and he finds Deion Dawkins! The left tackle with the touchdown! So he rubbed his belly, and you thought, maybe he needs something to eat. No, he's saying, I'm an eligible receiver on the end of the line. He blocks, he sheds the block. I'm surprised he didn't throw his hand up and indicate to Barkley that he was wide open, but he got those big mitts ready to catch the football. Welcome back to this week's opening tip. We're going to start week number 10 with the New York Jets. You just heard that call courtesy of Andrew Catalan and James Lofton for CBS Sports. The 2-7 and seven Buffalo Bills rolled into MetLife this weekend and absolutely destroyed the Jets, beating them up 41-10. to 10. The game was an embarrassment for the Jets. Embarrassing. I knew from the start. First play of the game, Matt Barkley, who was on the street two weeks ago, on the street, comes out and throws a 47-yard, something like that, complete deep pass as Robert Foster, who came off the practice squad, ran right by $72 million man, Tremaine Johnson. Next play, Sean McCoy barely touched, runs into the end zone for a touchdown, and the Bills are up and running. Now, the Bills were just embarrassing the Jets all over the field. They ran a fake punt on the Jets. They threw a touchdown to a tackle. And that's the play we just heard from Catalan and Lofton. The Jets at one point had three holds on one play. Three holds on one play. And the Buffalo Bills who had scored 33 points in their last four games and entered the day as the lowest-scoring team in the league, had 31 at halftime. The Jets simply do not care anymore for this coach. They did not play for this coach. I am sick and tired of hearing about how the players all love Todd Bowles. It's not Todd Bowles' fault, and they all want to fight for him. You know what? Fight for him by showing up to play the freaking game. I don't want to hear after the game about how we all practice great and how Todd Bowles is a great and he's a great guy. You know what? Play for him. It's not hard. Go out there and give a little effort. And you know what? It's not all bad for the Jet fans because this was the nail in his coffin. Even though the Jets did not fire Todd Bowles today. And... That is something we know is coming. It probably should have been done because now I know they make a big deal about how they don't want to disrupt the team in this season 
and they don't really have a replacement on staff to be an interim guy right now. That's all true. But you know what? This year is about developing the quarterback. It's about developing Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold should not have to play on a team full of guys who have clearly quit on the head coach. You should not have to play every week getting peppered with questions by the media asking about the job status of the coach. You should be worried just about developing and learning how to win football games. This environment is going to become a big distraction for him. The Jets need to think about this. They're not going to. They'll probably fire everybody on New Year's Eve, but really should be taken care of immediately. Let's move on to the rest of the league. I don't want to spend all my time on the Jets again. The Jets are what they are. 13-30 and 30 in Todd Bowles' last 43 games. The end is coming. We're not going to waste any more time on him. Let's go to some of the other games. Let's go to Saints-Bengals. The New Orleans Saints, many thought this could be a trap game for the Saints. They were actually tied 7-7 with the Bengals. And then the Saints just took off. 41 unanswered points. Rolled to a 51-14 win over Cincinnati. We learned that the Cincinnati defense is atrocious. They've now given up 500 yards in three straight games. That's not a good recipe for a team that's hoping to make the playoffs this year. We also learned that their offense is non-existent without A.J. Green. And A.J. Green's going to be out for a few more weeks. Tyler Boyd cannot be the number one receiver on this team. He just can't. He cannot separate. They don't have enough other weapons. It's going to be a struggle for the Bengals. And the Saints, they might be the best team in football. Drew Brees is playing at an MVP level. This team is dominating football games. They just beat the Rams last week. They have won, I believe, they've won seven in a row since their loss to Tampa Bay to start the season. Right now, the Saints are playing as well as anybody in this league, and they could easily go to the Super Bowl. Let's go to one of the big upsets of the day. The New England Patriots go to Tennessee and get destroyed by the Titans. And that was stunning to watch. I took the Patriots in the picks last week. I thought they were going to put the Titans back in their place. Titans absolutely manhandled them at the line of scrimmage. Tom Brady got pushed off his spot a lot. And you know the key to stopping the Patriots. If you can rush with four and get to Brady and get him off his spot, he becomes mortal. Brady is 41 years old. He has not liked to have to be dancing around in the pocket trying to separate. He likes a nice, clean front where he can survey the field and find the open guy. The Titans not let him have that, and it made a difference in this game. Titans are also playing very well. Marcus Mariota has looked very good the last few weeks. He got healthy. They've been playing very well since they went to London, went for the two-pointer and lost. Came off of that, beat up Dallas on Monday night, and then Mariota picks apart the Patriots in critical spots, including a brilliant throw to Corey Davis in the end zone. Tennessee, now 5-4, and four, very real threat to get back to the playoffs. The AFC wildcard is wide open, and they are playing very well right now. They have an interesting game next week against the Indianapolis Colts. And those Colts, they're also back in business. The Colts hang on for a 29-26 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. They go to, I believe, 4-5 and five on the season. And I have a big question coming out of this game. What happened to the Jacksonville defense? This defense, who everybody came into the year hyping as the best in the sport, Eric Ebron was running around open all game long. He had two receiving touchdowns, including a 53-yard catch-and-run the first quarter. He had a rushing touchdown. The Colts were just dominating that game in the first half. But they nearly let that game get away. 
They were up 29-16 at the half. They could not score another point. Adam Vinatieri has two big field goals down the stretch. Jags actually had the football back. We're driving to win before Rashad Green fumble on the last drive. Jacksonville does look better. Leonard Fournette coming back with a huge help for them. But they're now 3-6, and six, and they basically have to run the table to get the playoffs. There is no team getting in 9-7 this year like there was last year. There's too much depth in the AFC. I think the Jags need to run the table. That's not going to be easy when they have to deal with Pittsburgh next week. And we just saw Pittsburgh wreck Carolina at home on Thursday. And they had 10 days to get ready for that game. That's going to be fun. Colts deal with the Titans next week. Should be a big game in the AFC South. Winner of that game could be the top challenger to the Houston Texans in that division. Let's go to the big upset of the day. The Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns who have lost a bunch of games in a row, who have seen the coach get fired. They go out and upset an Atlanta team that had won three in a row in convincing fashion. Give credit to Sandra Rosa. She had this pick last week. The Browns just found a way to beat up the Falcons. Baker Mayfield, three touchdowns. Nick Chubb runs for 176 yards and scores two touchdowns on the day. And another terrible loss to the Falcons. The Falcons, who Joe Dalizio last week picked to make the NFC second wild card spot. They cannot lose that football game. You cannot lose to the Browns in Cleveland. I don't care if they're playing better. If you want to win and you need to get to the playoffs out of the NFC, you cannot be blowing games to the Cleveland Browns. Atlanta now has to go home. They're dealing with the Dallas Cowboys next week. And that's going to be a massive game for both teams. Thanks to the Cowboys' big season-saving win last night in Philadelphia. Cowboys, who many people left for dead last week after their debacle against the Titans on Monday night. They had a big effort. Zeke Elliott, 187 yards, two touchdowns on the day. The defense played very well. And I got to give a shout-out to Leighton Vander Esch, who had the unenviable task of stepping in for Sean Lee. Sean Lee, as any Cow- all the Cowboys fans I know tell me, is the motor of that defense. When Sean Lee goes down, that team usually loses. And Sean Lee is down for, I believe, a month. Leighton Van Der Esch comes in last night, makes 13 tackles, has an interception, makes what could be the game, what I think was the game-saving tackle on a third down play where the Eagles were driving. They had, I think, second and two. Uh, they run the ball with Corey Clement. Van Der Esch tackles him for a four-yard loss. Next two plays, Eagles miss. That play was a huge difference in the game because Clement was going for a first down. They would have kept the drive going. Now, long way to go for the Cowboys. They still have a tough schedule. They still have the Eagles. They still have the Redskins again. They play Atlanta this week in a game that both teams really need. They play the Saints after Thanksgiving. But you know what? Their season's not over yet. They are still alive. And that's something we did not think was the case 24 hours ago. Other than that, not much happened in the league this week. A lot of blowouts, a lot of bad games. Hopefully this week is better. Let's move on. Coming up next, our Mets offseason preview with John Coppinger. But first, let's hear some words of wisdom from the Mets' new general manager, Kersey of SNY. We will win now. As Jeff said, we will win in the future. We're going to develop a winning culture and a winning mindset. And we will deliver this city and this fan base a team they can be proud of. All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. 
We have a New York Mets offseason preview coming today. Joining me today is the very first guest from the Just End the Suffering podcast. I'm pleased to welcome back John Coppinger, otherwise known as Metzterdamus. John, welcome. How are you? Oh, thank you. I'm all right. Thank you for having me, as always. Not a problem. Let's get started. I enter our segment here with some words from our Mets new general manager, Brody Van Wagenen. What were your thoughts on the hire? It's, it's different. And I think if the Mets need anything in terms of just an overall philosophy, it should be different. It should be looking at things from all angles. If nothing else, Brody will look at things from angles that the people that are in the organization now aren't used to. And that's not a bad thing. It could, be, it could work. It could be a total disaster. But at, le- at the very least, they're trying something different. Yeah, I'm very happy about that. This organization has taken way too long, just gone with the traditional, we're going to vote from within, we're going to just do what we always do. But it's two years in a row now they've gone outside their comfort zones. I applaud them for that. Absolutely, yes. And, and I think if a team needs to go out of their comfort zone, it's the Mets. Uh, it, with any general manager hire, he's got to be allowed to do his job. And if, if he's allowed to do his job, then, then he'll succeed or fail on his own merits at least. And that's, that's, the, that's the only thing I can hope for at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's saying all the right things. Whether or not ownership lets him do the right things remains to be seen. He's got a big list of issues to deal with. Let's go through some of them today. Let's, let's start off with the catcher position. Who do you think that they're going to end up with, and who would you want them to get? Well, I'd love for them to get uh, Yasmani Grindal. Uh, he's be- only because he's not going to cost anything in terms of prospects. You know, I- I'd love to have Real Muto, but he's going to cost the world. And I don't know if the Mets have the world to give Miami. So Grandal, you know, and listen, playoffs aside with Grandal, you know, everybody's going to pay way too much attention to what happened in the playoffs. He's generally regarded as one of the top defensive catchers in the league on a normal, on a normal basis, an expert pitch framer and pop in his bat. He does everything a, at least a little bit better, if not a lot better than, than the catchers that we have now. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm sick of watching the Travis Darno, Kevin Pilecki duo for at least the fourth year in a row now, and, they ne- and they're never healthy and never perform. Grandal will be a great fit for this team, and like you said, I just don't think they have enough prospects to get Real Muto off the uh, Marlins. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agreed. And uh, you know, Wilson Ramos is another o- option, but Wilson Ramos is another walking disabled list, and, and that's another thing the Mets have way too much of, way too many of that they don't need right now. Yeah, and I saw Martin Maldonado was on the list recently. I want no part of him. I've had enough of defense-first can't-hit catchers. I'd like to have somebody with a little pop in the bat. Right, certainly not as a starter, for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, let's go to first base. <laughs> Last year, the Mets were doing weird things there, about how they stuck Jay Bruce there at the end of the year with Flores. Now Brody's come in. He said all the right things about how he wants Peter Alonso to win the job. How encouraging is that? Very encouraging because I want Peter Alonso to win the job, too. You know, you're talking about somebody – with a high ceiling, not a slam dunk success by any means, but somebody who you should at least look at to see what you can get out of them. If this, if Peter Alonso is for real, it could, it, it, then it's going to help the New York Mets in spades more than the people that we already know enough about, like Jay Bruce. You know, listen, Jay Bruce, I like Jay Bruce. I think Jay Bruce is a good middle-of-the-order hitter for a lot of teams, but he just doesn't fit with this team. This, uh, the Mets have had way too many corner outfielders slash first baseman or either or on the roster. The, the roster has just been so ill-fitting, and I think they need 
to to let go of certain guys. And I don't know if anybody would take Jay Bruce in a trade, but if somebody does to clear out space for for Alonzo, that's that's a uh, that's a gift for the Mets. Yeah, Alonzo playing would be great. I think they're going to wait the two weeks that they're supposed to do, keep the extra year of eligibility, and keep him on the keep him in the farm for like Syracuse for at least a couple of weeks. But I think he'll be there most of the time. Yeah, if it's two weeks, then I think every anybody can uh, we could all deal with that. If it's if it's more like six weeks, then it's like okay, come on, what are you prioritizing here? Are you prioritizing the extra year, or you're prioritizing winning? Let's go. Oh, for sure. You mentioned Jay Bruce. I actually have a trade idea on Jay Bruce. What do you think about sending Jay Bruce to Colorado for Brian Shaw? I don't think that's a bad idea, only because I have a similar deal, and it's a little more convoluted where Jay Bruce goes to Minnesota and the Mets get back, uh, among, other, among other people, uh, Addison Reed and, and Mark Melanson of the Giants. I obviously have a three-way deal happening where a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of contracts are shuffled, but everybody is on a, a better fit. Bruce, for Shaw, is probably a little simpler way to do it than the convoluted way I, I do it. But we both have the same kind of idea in mind, shoring up the bullpen and getting rid of some excess parts and, excuse me, and trading some money here and there to make it happen and make everybody happy. Yeah, I just think he doesn't fit with his team anymore. I mean, the analytics guys were against him coming back last year, and they ignored them. So hopefully they fix that mistake and get him out of here because I don't think it's a good fit for either team, either side at this point. Yeah, no, not not uh, not at all. You know, they signed him thinking that Brandon Nimmo wasn't going to be the player that he was, but you know, they had they had so much invested in Brandon Nimmo, and he was there so long. They, they probably should have given him a little more of a chance from jump and not sign Bruce. But, you know, at this point, what are you going to do? And uh, what scares me is that when he was good at the 2017 trading deadline, the only player they can get was Ryder Ryan. You know, that was, the, that was the best prospect they could get. So that's why I think if you can shuffle some money around, if you have to take a, a contract back like Mark Melanson, which is exactly the same or, or very similar to Jay Bruce's, I think it could work. Yeah, I like the Shaw idea personally because of the whole connection with Callaway. I feel like getting him out of Colorado would help. So I think that would be a good fit. But Bruce definitely needs to go. Now that once he's out of the way, how do you think they're going to deal with center field this year? Because they really need somebody who can actually play the position. I will rue the day that the Mets did not sign Lorenzo Cain because he was the perfect fit for all of their issues. And now I don't think that perfect fit exists. So I don't know if they're going to – if they're going to go to the outside with center field, they probably, you know, Juan Lagares is part of my trade ideas to get him, to get him out because I don't trust him. I think they're probably going to try to trust him one more year just because he's so good defensively, but you can't, you can't count on him either because he's hurt every year with something or other. I think they'll probably try to fit in Nimmo or Conforto in center field for the time being, if they don't find a trade partner for Jay Bruce, and then when Cespedes comes back, they'll deal with it then. But I, I hope that they, maybe they can get a guy from Minnesota like uh, Jake Cave, who's, who's kind of like Jay Bruce Light, but he can play actually play center field. But I, I do think that, th- that it's going to be Nimmo Conforto until further notice. Yeah, I think I could see that possibility as well. I have two thoughts to throw at you. Number one, would you like to see them like explore a guy like, obviously not going to go after Pollock because of the injury history and the, and the money he's going to go after, but... What do you think of a guy yeah. like Adam Jones or McCutcheon to help solidify that outfield? I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind either. Or you know, I, and I think that even that, especially Jones. I think Jones would be willing to come to the Mets on a short-term deal to to see how he likes it. I mean, listen, he 
he nixed the trade from Baltimore. So I don't know if he really wants to be tied down for a number of years anyway. So maybe you give him one year, you give him a little extra money to make it worth his time to come back for a year. Uh, but I wouldn't mind that at all. McCutcheon would probably command a little bit more in terms of years and money. So I don't know if he would come here so, you know, after his, after his performance with the Yankees, which is pretty good. So I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't mind McCutcheon at this point, but I don't know if he's a center fielder right now. I think you say the same about Jones. That's one option. The other option I have, I just thought of today, what do you think about going to Seattle, who's clearly willing to move assets and taking D. Gordon's money off their hands? Because you get, not only gives you a center fielder, but he could give you insurance at second in case McNeil can't play. I don't think that that's a bad idea. The one problem with that is I have a feeling that, that Seattle is going to try to trade Cano. Yeah. And if they trade Cano, then Gordon's their second baseman. So I think that's easier said than done. But it wouldn't be if they're looking to unload and they and they can uh, unload his contract for for a cheap uh, a cheap prospect. I think it's worth exploring. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, I just don't understand why, who would take Cano's money. I feel like Gordon could be on the move, but that's a whole other topic. Well, all these issues with the Mets always come down to the money. Why do you always. think? Why do you think they're not in on Manny Machado? I think it's money. I, I have to say that it's money. I think the whole thing with them coming out and saying he's not the right play, uh, player for our needs because of, because of the whole thing with the kicking the first baseman's ankle and all the and all the cheap shots that that he's that he's taken and all the stuff that he said. I think that's the Wilpons built-in excuse, and I think they're playing off of that with the fans very well because you already see a lot of fans on social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, saying, "Oh, Machado's a punk. He's not what we need. He doesn't have the right attitude." These are people, I think, that have been taken in by the Will Pons message and the Will Pons excuse. They don't, they don't want to pay the money for guys like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper and already have their built-in excuse for Machado, unfortunately. And that's, and that's it. Yeah, it's really a shame because like, if he's not the right player for them to spend money on, which is a young player in his prime who can win a batting title or can play excellent defense at two positions, I don't know when they're going to spend money. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's so true. You know, they'll, but they'll spend – somewhat large amounts of money on the wrong player, which like, like Todd Frazier, you know, that that's what kills me most of all is that they won't go all in on the one player, but they'll, they'll spread it around to a lot of mediocre players, which more often than not don't work out. Yeah. That was the whole off season last year was just throwing around a bunch of garbage and then they got what they probably paid for. They got you. And you said it, they got what they paid for. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if you saw this. I posted our blog, I think this week, the whole idea of like, if they're not going to go after uh, Machado, maybe calling the Cubs up and seeing if you would move uh, Syndergaard to get Chris Bryant. I think that's something they could seriously explore. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. Uh, and, I, and I love Bryant. I'd empty the farm for him. Uh, the, the, the one thing about that for me is that Syndergaard still has three years of control where I think Bryant only has one. I think he he and actually I, has three too, so that's why I propose. He, he also he also has three. Yeah, he's okay. Well, and if if that's the case, then maybe you think about it. But this is a, but Bryant's also a guy coming off a bad year, an injury riddled year. So I don't know why the Mets would need to go, send over their best players for Bryant. I probably do just about anything else though. I'd give them if it was if it came down to Wheeler and Mats and maybe Justin Dunn, I would do it. Yeah. I would absolutely do it, but I, I would think long and hard before I, I trade Syndergaard for, for Brian straight up. I'd give him just about anything else, though. Yeah, you mentioned Wheeler. Do you think that they try and extend him? Do you think they're going to shop him or just let him just sit there for a year? 
They'll probably just let him sit there for a year. You know, the thing with the pitching is that eventually they're going to have to pay all of them. And if you put all that money into one aspect of the team, which is the starting rotation, then they've got no money for, for anywhere else. So I, they're going to have to make some hard decisions with that rotation. So I think eventually Wheeler will be gone, and I think eventually Mats will probably be gone uh, because you, ju- you just can't spend a ton of money just on a starting rotation. Teams that have done that have found that it's no guarantee that a World Series title is in their future. I mean, you look at the Braves with those three pitchers for all those years, and they won one title out of it. You look at the Phillies that had that super rotation after they won in 2008, and they didn't win it. So it's dicey when you talk about a super rotation being an automatic title receiver. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you mean. Let's go to the last area I want to hit on, which is the bullpen. Like, how many guys do you think they would get? They're gonna end up getting, and who do you think they should get? Well, that's that's a tough one because I think I think the bullpen needs a total uh, a total remake. I'd love to see them get three or four new guys, uh, even if a couple of them are flyers. Like I said, like Brian Shaw or or Addison Reed or Melanson. Uh, I would love to see them get somebody like Craig Kimbrell. Uh, I don't think they're gonna get Kimbrell because I think I think he's gonna be enticed by other teams. But I could certainly see a scenario where they get a Zach Britton and maybe bring Familia back and then get some rec- a reclamation project or two for the back end. So I could see them with three new, three new bullpen arms. I would be fine with that because I'm scared of Kimbrough. I feel like he's going to fall off a cliff like in year two, a four-year contract. I want nothing to do with him. I think a Britton as the main guy and then bring, get, even get Familia back or somebody on that level, a couple of lower-level guys. I think you just need new arms in there. You can't just rely on these young kids to just do it all. Right. But you can't just you you also can't just get one guy and say, Okay, we're done. Like, okay, we're get we've got familiar back, we're set. That that's unacceptable. Yeah, that's what they usually do. They usually get like half the team things they need and say, Okay, we're done, we'll figure it out later. Exactly. Exactly. That but yeah, I think that it, it, they need a total redo. And I'd love to see I'd love to see multiple left handers as well, if that's possible. Yeah, you know one's going to be Zamora, so you have to wonder if anybody else is going to join him or they're just going to do what they usually do and have one lefty and just throw him out there until his arm falls off. Right. Well, if it's Britain, I think that that would be, that would be fine if it's Britain and Zamora in there because I think Zamora's earned a shot to be in that bullpen next year. So if it's Britain, Zamora, and one or two new, new faces, I'd be fine with that. All right, John, I know you've got to run. So before you go, you want to let everybody know how to follow you on the blog and how to follow you on Twitter and some of the stuff you're up to? Well, we are on uh, metstradamusblog.com, as always, and I'm on Twitter at metstradamus, fairly easy. And uh, also uh, a member of the Burger Ball podcast, which is on hiatus now, but uh, we've got some, we're in the works to bring that back. So uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned for uh, Bigger and Better in 2019. All right, I will stay tuned for that. John, thanks for the time. No problem. Thank you for having me, as always. All right, that was John Coppinger on New York Mets offseason preview. Up next, show me the money, week number 11 NFL picks coming up right after this. Show me the money. All right, and we're back. Show me the money. Week number 11 of the NFL season. Hard to believe we are coming down the stretch. Join me today to do the picks. Guy I spoke to back in episode number three of this podcast, talking Yankee baseball. Today he's making NFL picks. Phil Freyetta is back with us. Phil, how are you doing today? Hey, Mike. Doing well, doing well. I'm uh, excited to be back on. Glad to have you back on. First, before we get started, can you tell all the listeners what, what kind of fan you are? 
I am a Giants fan, uh, unfortunately. How'd you, uh, how did you become a Giant fan? So, you know, it's a funny story. When I was a kid, I uh, wasn't really much of a football fan until probably about age 12 or 11. And I decided, kind of started playing Madden. I wanted to get into it. So uh, Michael Strahan was my favorite player. And that was the year he set the sack record back in '01. So I became a Giant fan at that point. Then they drafted uh, Shockey, and I, I was a really big Shockey fan for a while. Yeah, so I like, just kept following the team. Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting because I, it's hard to believe. I think I actually became a football fan before you did because I was a Jet fan '98. Yeah, yeah. Back then, I wasn't really watching much football. I was I was all Yankees, and that, that's the other reason I picked the Giants. I knew that Yankee fans tend to be Giant fans. Yeah, it seems to be a, th- a theme in this area that if, if you go Yankee, Giant, Met, Jet, there's very f- little overlap between the two sides. Yeah, that, that's definitely right. Uh, there's not a there's not a lot. And then there's a few Giant Met fans. Yeah, we know one of them. He was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. All right, let's go. Let's go on to the talk about the, the game last night, two nights ago, actually. Giants snapped the five game losing streak. They defeat the 49ers in San Francisco, 27-23. What was your big takeaway off that game? Yeah, you know, uh, I I actually think it was bad for the future of the franchise. Uh, my understanding, and, I, and I'm not a big college football guy anymore, but my understanding is that this draft is not really quarterback rich. So maybe there's one, maybe two guys who you can get in this draft to have a shot. And if you win games like against the 49ers, you're not going to be able to get a quarterback. Yeah, my counter to that is, like, honestly, if you know you're getting a quarterback, you will do what you have to do to get the quarterback. If you like him, you trade up for him like the Jets did this year. They, they, they could do that, but, you know, the Giants have so many needs that I'd hate to be trading draft picks to have to move up because they won the meaningless game in San Francisco. But I understand that the players are going to try, and it was nice to see Eli kind of turn back the clock and do the whole game-winning drive and all that. Yeah, I was watching the end of that game when I got when I got back on Monday night, seeing that bit feel like vintage Eli back in like the late two thousands, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand eleven era, like him just ringing down the field, winning the football game. Yeah, he he played well, and and that's good to see because you know he's given a lot to the franchise. But you and I have talked about this off air, but uh, I I was opposed to the Barkley pick. I know you had uh, Justin Diaz on a few weeks ago, and he explained the rationale. I agree with him. Right. I, I think it was time for a quarterback. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, they still have – they're 2-7. and seven. There's still another, what, seven games left in their season? Like, what are you looking for when you watch the Giants play out the stretch this year? Because it's not like my team where at least I have a quarterback to watch develop. Right. So, it's it's hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. But a couple things that I've, I'm looking for. Uh, one is the defense giving effort for this coach – because last year the defense quit on McAdoo, and that's a big reason why they had to get rid of McAdoo. So that's number one. Uh, Barkley, obviously you want to see him take positive steps in his development. And uh, finally, I I hope that I get to see Kyle Laletta take a few snaps. I don't think he's going to be anything special, but just, just to be able to at least see a young quarterback and see what he's got, that's something exciting to watch. Yeah, I think they'll get. They're not gonna get him into the really like mathematically out of the race, which is probably gonna be in a couple of weeks. Their schedule is a little light, but like, you don't get any joy out of possibly like ruining like a season for like the Eagles or the Cowboys by beating them in like a big game. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you always get joy in that, but uh, I don't see this team winning many football games. Maybe I'm wrong. I was very surprised they won uh, that game in San Francisco. I, I They're going to have to prove it to me because I, I really don't think they're a very good football team. Yeah, they actually have another winnable game this week when they host Tampa Bay at home on Sunday. Ryan Fitzpatrick and company coming in. They've lost a lot of games in a row. What do you think is going to happen in that game? So, uh, and I just a little preview, I did not pick that game, even though I was I was thinking about it. I think Tampa's going to come in and beat them. I think Tampa's going to put up big points against the defense, and I still don't trust this offense to move the ball. I know they moved the ball against San Francisco, but that's one week. Let me see it again. Yeah, I also did not pick this game, but I disagree with you. I think the Giants will win this football game just because Tampa Bay has no defense. They're going on the road. Fitzpatrick's a turnover machine. I think the fact you guys are at home, I think they're going to win that game, like probably like a touchdown. Well, let, let's let's keep in mind though, the Giants have played some bad defensive teams and made them look like the '85 Bears. <laughs> this is true. I will give you that one. All right, let's go on to the picks. We'll reset the standings from week number ten. Sam DeRosa was here last week. She had the hockey one one and one line. She won with the Browns plus four, which I was shocked about. Got a push on the Jaguars plus three because they lost by three points. And lost on the 49ers, laying three against the Giants. The Giants came back and won that game. I went two and one on the week. I won with the Redskins, getting three in Tampa Bay. I had no idea why that was even a thing, but that happened. I won with the Bears, laying six and a half against Detroit. They won that game by double digits. Lost with the Patriots, laying six and a half in Tennessee. And Tennessee just took them to the woodshed, so... On the year, the challengers are now 16, 12, and 2. I am 17 and 13. And believe it or not, I checked the math on this today. The win percentages for these two sides are identical right now at 567 each. Wow. So, uh, so we that's can, a lot of pressure for me. We can break the tie this week one way or the other. Phil, since you are the guest, you may go first. Let me get this queued up, and you can take it away. All right. So uh, th- this week was tough. I, I was surprised that a lot of the lines, uh, a lot of really toss-up games, but I found three that I've three to pick, and we'll see how I do. All right, where you going, number one? So, first game I'm taking is I am taking the Cardinals uh, over Oakland. And when I originally picked this game, the spread was uh, minus four for Arizona. Now I've been told that it's up to five and a half, but I'm sticking with it. Oakland's terrible. I think they've quit on Gruden. I, I, I don't think those players want to play for Gruden. So even though I don't love Arizona, they're home, I could see them winning this game by a touchdown or more. Yeah, the Raiders are a disaster right now, man. John Gruden's like doesn't know what he's doing out there. and I feel like they've quit already, and they still got so much to go. I could easily see Arizona running away with this game. Yeah, so, that, so that's game one, uh, Arizona at home with the five and a half. Game number two, I'm taking Carolina on the road in Detroit. They're a four-point favorite. Uh, Detroit has been just absolutely blown out the past few weeks. And I know they're a different team at home, but I think Carolina, coming off that terrible loss to the Steelers, comes in and plays inspired football and just blows out the Lions. I, I agree with that logic as well. Carolina has been a very good team this season. They had the hiccup last week, and they had 10 days, and they're going to be pissed off against the Detroit team that has just been a complete and utter mess most of the season. So I like the logic there. Where are you going with pick number three? Uh, pick number three, I and Will Smith, 
is not going to be happy about this. Neither is Mike Pagan, but I'm going with the Falcons at home against the Cowboys. Atlanta's favored by three and a half. I think that line's way too low. I know the Cowboys had a nice win against the Eagles, but the, the Cowboys can't keep up with the Atlanta offense. I can see Atlanta putting up a 35 on them and just, just beating them pretty bad. Yeah, that game scares the hell out of me because I have no idea which team's going to show up for both sides because Atlanta has these really good wins and these really bad losses in their ledger, and Dallas is Dallas. Dallas will either give you like a game that you're not expecting and when you think they're going to lose and they'll win, and then their games you think they'll win, they'll come to lay an egg. That's true, but uh, my my thought process here is Atlanta's playing pretty well lately. They're at home. I, I don't buy the Cowboys at all. I don't buy Jason Garrett, so I'm going with Atlanta. But I know that they just had that tough loss in Cleveland, which is another reason why I'm hoping that they come back and play some inspired football and win this game. All right, those are your picks. I'm going with my picks now. Pick number one, I'm going to annoyed Dan Martini again. I'm taking the Tennessee Titans getting two and a half in Indianapolis against the Colts. The Colts have played well lately. They've won three games in a row, but Tennessee has looked very good since the bye. They came out, they beat the Cowboys up in Dallas, took the Patriots to the woodshed this week, and they're getting points on the road. I know that Indy's a tough place to play. I know they protected luck a lot better, but I feel like Tennessee right now is a team to watch in that AFC wildcard race, and I think they're going to make a big statement here, get the W, go on to... Uh, I believe six and four and put themselves in prime position to grab a wild card. Yeah, I, I like that pick. I was looking at that game as well. Uh, the, the, I was. It's a scary one to me because Tennessee, they've kind of done it with smoke and mirrors and the Colts have been protecting Andrew Luck, but, but I could see Tennessee winning that game. Okay, that's pick number one. Pick number two, I am taking the Minnesota Vikings on Sinai Night Football, getting two and a half points in Chicago against the Bears. I love the Bears this year, but I think they might be a bit of a fraud. I look at their schedule. The last, the six games they've won this year have been over Seattle, Arizona, Tampa, the Jets, Buffalo, and Detroit. That's not exactly a murderer's row of competition. Here come the Vikings off the bye. They have a complete defense. They have the better quarterback right now. And I think getting back Dalvin Cook and Stephon Diggs is be enough of them to win the game outright. I'm going to take them and the two and a half points. That, that one I don't like. Uh, I think the Bears are they're rolling. Uh, you're right, they haven't beat the best teams, but I think they're playing well. They're at home. This is a chance for them to prove on primetime football that they're for real. I think they win that football game. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting game. Excited they flex that in because Steelers-Jaguars turned into a dog, so it was a good choice to get it out of there. Pick number three. I am going to the game of the week I'm going to Monday Night Football. I'm taking the Los Angeles Rams, laying three and a half at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. I was not going to take it originally, but the game being moved back to Los Angeles, getting out of Mexico City, I think is going to be a big thing for the Rams. They go from essentially having a neutral field to a true home game again. I like the fact that they are playing very well right now. I think the Chiefs are, their defense is still very, very questionable. The Rams have a better D. Three and a half is not a big number. It's basically just betting on who's going to win this game outright. I'm going to take the Rams here at, at home. Yeah, I mean, I could see that one. I, I stayed away from that game because those are two juggernauts. That's a, that's just a tough game to pick. I could see that being – I think that's a back-and-forth game. Uh, three and a half is a pretty big number. I was surprised it was that big. Yeah, I think it jumped a point when I looked at it originally. I think it was two and a half Rams originally, then went up to three and a half. But I still like the number. I think they, these team, the Rams are going to win this football game. It's just a feeling I've had the whole week. I'm going to stick with it. So, 
We'll reset. I'd, the... I'd be afraid of a backdoor cover here from from uh, Kansas City. It's definitely a risk, but it's a tough. It's a very tough week, as you point out at the top of the segment. So I'm gonna just take my chance here, go with the gut, and see if that works out. To reset the picks, Phil has gone with the Panthers laying four in Detroit against the Lions. The Falcons minus three and a half at home against the Dallas Cowboys, and the Arizona Cardinals laying five and a half against the Raiders. I have gone with two road dogs, the Titans plus two and a half in Indianapolis. Vikings plus two and a half in Chicago on Sunday Night Football and the Los Angeles Rams minus three and a half in the game of the week and probably the game of the season at home against the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday night. Those are your picks for week number 11 in the Show Me the Money Pick Challenge. Phil, thanks for coming on. Of course. uh, Anytime. I love coming on. Hopefully I can do it again. Yeah, hopefully so. Before you go, I know you're a big uh, Rocky franchise guy. Creed 2 coming out. What do you think? What's your big prediction for this movie? So, yeah, uh, I got to say, Creed 1 shocked me. I, I was, I didn't think the franchise was going to make a comeback like that, and it really did. Creed 1 was great. So, But Creed 2, I think uh, I think Adonis wins this time, and the reason I think that is simply because, like in Rocky 2, Rocky won the second fight. He lost in Rocky 1. Uh, I can't see them having him lose again. Yeah, what do you think of the choice to bring in the whole Drago angle and have him fight Drago's son? It's sort of like a revenge match for Ivan Drago killing his father in Rocky IV. I mean, it's it's good for the fanboys. Uh, it, it gets gets the fans back involved, so I understand it. Yeah, I'm just I'm just I'm just curious to see how this goes because it did very good on its own. But I just feel like this might be a little much. Yeah, well, look, I think uh, this is a whole thing in movies now. They're just gonna keep running out movies until people stop going so we'll see how much longer they can keep the Rocky franchise going yeah I'm just hoping they don't find a way to uh, shoehorn Mr. T and Clubber Lang back into into Creed 3 whenever that eventually comes I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> alright well Phil thanks for the time thanks Mike uh, have a good one alright and that was Phil Fran with your week 11 picks in Show Me the Money up next this week's two minute drill we're going to take a look at the drama surrounding Le'Veon Bell decision not to report to the Pittsburgh Steelers and why the franchise tag is an incredibly dumb idea right after this. All right, welcome back to this week's two-minute drill. We're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell today. The Pittsburgh Steelers running back, not expected to report to the Steelers, forfeit his entire $14.5 million salary for the 2018 season due to a dispute over the use of the franchise tag. As everybody knows, Steelers tag Le'Veon Bell after the 2016 season, played last year on the tag. This year, they tagged him again. He's due for $14.5 million, but Bell decided not to report and decided that he was willing to give up this much money to get paid long term. Now, Bell's able to do this because, according to multiple reports, his agents found a loophole in the CBA where he can sit out 2018. If the Steelers try and tag him again, which would be the third time in in this tenure, by the way, they would have to pay him the quarterback's franchise tag, which is going to be around $25 million. There is no way Pittsburgh does that, so they're going to have to either give him the transition tag, which gives him the freedom to negotiate with other teams, but give the Steelers the right to match, or they can just let him walk. 
and recoup a third-round pick when he leaves. This whole situation is such a joke, and it just shows you what a terrible idea this franchise tag is in the NFL. This is a guy who is one of the best players in the league, one of the most dynamic talents in the National Football League, willingly sitting out a full season of competition because of the franchise tag. Because the franchise tag is a joke. Everybody knows in the NFL, your contract is not guaranteed. Apart from your signing bonus and whatever other guaranteed money you can get, that money is as good as Monopoly money after the ink is dry on the contract. As soon as a team can get out of the guaranteed money, they will dump a player if they're not performing. So most players have to do whatever they can to secure their futures long-term financially. In the NFL, your average career is just over three years. Not many guys are getting two free agency, let alone getting a second contract or third contract in most cases. The franchise tag right now, the idea behind it is that you're supposed to pay the best player on your team like he's a key part of your franchise and then figure out a long-term deal. A lot of teams don't do that. They just have to throw the tag on again and again to get the best out of the player and then let them go without getting a chance to get a long-term deal. That's bogus. I mean, simply put, unless you're a quarterback, you're not getting paid. Running backs over the age of 30 fall off a cliff. Le'Veon Bell is getting run 300 times a year by the Steelers. Not count, and that make, can't even counts some of his catches. The franchise tag just limits these best of the best from being able to capitalize on their net worth. It's not worth it. It's not good for the league when you have players like Le'Veon Bell who are willing to sit out full seasons. And now he set an example that other players are going to follow. Why wouldn't you, if you're a great player, say, you know what? Why am I going to risk injuring my body? I can just sit the year out and I'll get paid after I force 19 to let me go. The NFL and the Players Association need to solve this problem in the next CBA. I think there's a very easy solution to this. I think you can only use a franchise tag on a player once. This is something that baseball negotiated to their new CBA. Because baseball, the qualifying offer kind of became about the franchise tag. A lot of teams would just slap the qualifying offer on players. They didn't want to leave. And if the player chooses to leave and sign somewhere else, his new team had to get up a draft pick and international bonus money to bring that guy in. Now, this put a freeze on guys the first year. So the new CBA, what they came up with was the whole idea of you can only do it one time. So in this scenario, Le'Veon Bell will be franchised one time. Then after that, they cannot use it again on him. And even if he goes to a new team, that new team cannot use it on him. You can't be a franchise player three times. You just can't. You get you get it once, and then if the team cannot find it in their heart to get you a deal negotiated with you, you have a chance to find it on your own. This would put an end to the whole, I'm going to hold out, I'm going to do what I have to do to get my money because these guys will get their opportunities to get paid on the open market. The transition tag can still be a thing, give teams a right to match, but it would be a much better system than what we have right now where we spend months of part of the offseason wondering, oh, is player X going to hold out because he wants a new contract? Is player Y going to skip the first three games of the year because he wants to get paid? We don't need that. The best part of the NFL is seeing some of the best athletes on the planet playing on the field and helping their teams win games. We missed out on a year of Le'Veon Bell in his prime because of this stupid franchise tag. This needs to change going forward. And that's going to do it for today's show. 
I want to thank my guest, John Coppinger, for stopping by to talk the New York Mets offseason plan. I also want to thank Phil Farietta for coming by to make NFL picks for week number 11 in Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look about whether the Yankees really need Manny Machado or Bryce Harper to contend in 2019 and beyond, be sure to check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Simply by searching for Just and the Suffering in the iTunes Store and the Google Play Music section. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag OneTimeFranchiseTag if you made it to the end of today's show. Be sure you're locked in next week. We're going to talk some hockey. I'm working on getting the hockey panel back together for next week's show. If Rangers are playing well. Check in on them. Check on the locals. All that coming up next week. Until then, I hope a better week than Jets fans. <laughs>